I had one of the people who I, I knew many years ago when I used to go to church reach out to me and say, hey, Jack, I heard that you had gone through some rough stuff and you weren't a Christian anymore. And I wanted to reach out and talk to you that even if I had they had originally said mean things to me at the time or spoke bad about me behind my back or something, I would like to believe I'm a person who can say, oh, cool. Like, let's try again. There's no, there's nothing you can say, no matter how hard you hit me, that I can't forgive you of later. Because we're all people. We all make mistakes. We all do things that we later regret. That's just part of life. Anyways, uh, Jack, you did a yep. great job. Thank with you. Your uh, Joseph Smith as Trump, or Trump as Joseph Smith. Yeah. And you know, jo- Joseph Smith both- and Trump a little bit combined. That's what it was. Well. Yes, and they're both from upstate New York. You know, that mm-hmm. is possibly how Joseph Smith sounded. So I really yep. appreciate you digging I up. could actually be the most historically accurate representation of Joseph Smith. Today, right. Yeah. Like, it wasn't, yes, I didn't do a Trump impression. I did Joseph Smith, just yes. accurately. No That's one had right. heard it before. All right, here we are, another episode. I have Jack Vaughn, who I met over at the Pine Creek Channel. I've talked about it before. There's a bunch of people hovering around, and Jack is one of them, and I am one of them, and so we met. And he he had this uh, funny impression of, you'll see it. I thought it would be interesting to talk about similarities and differences of leaving what your leaving was like compared to like general Latter-day Saints experiences. So anyway, yeah. What's your background? So again, I'm Jack. Hi. Hello, everybody. Um, I was raised a very soft, weak Christian, eventually becoming fundamentalist Christian. Um, My parents converted to Christianity when I was like five, maybe. Um, And both of them came to their decision completely separate of one another. So it's um, my dad. So for a Christmas, maybe when I was like one, my parents got a Bible from my grandmother. And they always tell the story because they got the Bible and my uncle got a football. And my mom said, do you want to trade? Because <laughs> they were like, what, what are we going to do with this? This stinks. So my dad ended up just taking the Bible to work and reading it on his lunch because he was bored and just wanted something to do. And so he read the, the Bible cover to cover and was like, wow, I, I think this stuff's cool. And my mom, completely separate, just... She felt like a spiritual connection and felt like, I want to start going to church. I, I know people who go to church. And so they separately decided like, hey, we should go to church and then told the other person. And we're like, oh, good. I, I was already thinking that. So hmm. it really solidified for them, you know, that they feel similar in their relationship. And so we started going to, uh, at the time, a small church, uh, Bayside in Granite Bay, California, uh, which was meeting in like a little high school. And over the next uh, maybe five, six year period, it, ballooned it became a huge mega church out here they bought their own property they've got three different campuses i mean they've got satellite churches everywhere now it became really really big and for my parents church is always an exercise right it's about serving that's your connection to god is you are being christ-like you serve other people and so my dad eventually learned how to play the guitar to lead children's worship uh, my mom became a, a, a director for the Awanas organization that they had at the church. You know, they were very involved. And as the church became bigger and bigger, they became more commercialized. And they started 
cutting the volunteer work and hiring professionals to run their different organizations, like a professional music guy, a professional person to direct the Iwana's organization. And so my parents felt kind of pushed out. Hmm. Um, so we were there for, go ahead. Can I ask what, have you ever asked them, what was it that helped made them choose the one they chose? Like why that church over, like, did they grow yeah. up? in a different, like a similar denomination? My, Are they familiar with that type? or it's My my grandparents on my father's side, uh, they identify as Mormon, but I don't think that they ever went to a Mormon church once in their life. Wait, you're kidding. You I'm have not, a connection to Mormons? That, that's my connection to Mormons, but it was always kind of like more of a joke because my grandfather, uh, he's one of those guys that was kind of like, give me religion when I'm old kind of a thing. And then when he got you're old, he was blind uh, lost like mo most of his mobility. He, he had, he struggled with eating his entire life. He had the worst you could get with diabetes. Mm -hmm. And so he, he never ended up doing anything with religion, but he always had his book of Mormon next to his table at the, you know, in front of the TV, like he was mm -hmm. going to read it someday, but never happened. But, you know, if you would have asked him, are you religious? He probably would have said, Oh, I'm, I'm Mormon. Just, I've never been to a service or read the book. Do you know like any family history? Like where? I don't how, know. How I don't know how that Mormon? happened. If I had to guess, I bet you somebody came to the door one time and, and baptized he, him. He really enjoyed that experience and just told everybody he was Mormon after that. <laughs> oh, really? I don't really know. I, I, that's something I'll have to ask and uh, see if I find out more information about. But um, so that's I wonder, for my dad. I wonder, I wonder if you're like a seventh generation Mormon, just like <laughs> all of most of the people it's, po it, it's honestly possible um and then on my mom's side my grandmother was catholic and then had an experience where she no longer wanted to be catholic and became protestant and so now she's very anti-catholic your um, mom you said my my grandmother your grandma so then my my parents now both of them my dad's like religion you know that's like the thing my parents pretend they are. And my mom was like, oh, you know, religion, that's, that's just people fighting all the time or whatever. So they they had no interest. So Bayside really came about because I, I think they're marketing. Bayside markets itself as a church for people who don't like church. It's a very seeker-friendly, open thing. And so I, I, I had to imagine, I bet you they just asked around like their friends. And their friends were like, oh, well, there's that big church Bayside in Granite Bay. And they said, okay, we'll go there. Because I don't remember going. I don't even think we tried any other churches. I think we just went there one time and said, okay, this is where we're going to go, hmm. which is very my dad. We were there for about seven years, uh, you know, very biblical number. And then they, uh, they decided they'd been pushed out too much. They didn't want to participate anymore. So we went to a different small church uh, called The River, uh, which was in, uh, I don't know what, what that area is, but 200 people plus minus somewhere in that range. They had a very similar analogous like children's program and they had their own version of Awanas and stuff like this. So my parents found places they could serve there. And we did that for about seven years. And then that felt even with the, how small it was, it, there was still a lot of just behind the scenes, you know, commercialism to it about how do we market our church and how do we, and my, my parents are just so turned off by that, that they didn't want to participate in that anymore. So we ended up moving churches again um, and went to a even smaller church that was like, 35 to 60 people on a given Sunday and, you know, just very, very, very tiny, you know, to me felt a little cultish, you know, uh, following one leader and just like, Oh, this is the thing that we're going to do. 
The leader and being just the pastor? Just the pastor. Okay. Yep. Um, and so that they were more Baptist, non-denominational. Bayside's very, the starting church was very seeker friendly. They don't even, like if See, you mention the word even, denomination, I, they don't know what that I, is. I don't know what that means, seeker friendly. So seeker friendly is like you go in and they're going to have a rock concert in the beginning to get everybody jazzed. And then they do like just a little TED talk. You know, like the, the guy's going to come up and be like, all right, open your Bibles to a verse. And then they read the verse. And then his message is going to be like, you know, God loves you. Come as you are. That's it. Go home. Have a good rest of your week. Like that's that's every message every week. They're, they're never going to drill into a doctrinal thing or talk about the history of the church or none of that. It's just all about, did you feel good when you were at church? Then we did our job. Did you but, donate? <laughs> but you did, but you did have like um, weekday like children's classes and youth well, they do getting together. But that's different than right. They their would Sunday do the, worship. the Awanas, which is a, a thing where they take kids and they have them memorize Bible verses, and that so you'd meet like once a week and go, "How many Bible verses did you memorize?" And it's it's its own version of like you know the Boy Scouts or whatever. You earn a little badge you put on a vest every time you can memorize a Bible verse and. You know, it's a, a way of trying to motivate kids to care, you know, by giving them, you know, oh, if you do well enough, you get Awana bucks and you can spend them in the Awana store. You know, it's a uh, very interesting and, and good for kids. And then my parents, of course, always had a uh, adult, you know, once a week meeting at our house. People come and read the Bible, but never, never again, never very deep. Okay, so would would this be um, similar to non denominational? Is it, it's, that's would you yeah. say that as a non denominational Christian? Then? Yeah, that, that's what that, that conversation they, if was. you would ask them what denomination are you, they would say, I don't know what that is. Okay, so <laughs> I feel like that was really common. Um, we, I, I feel like uh, Colorado has a lot of that, so mm. anyways, anyways, yeah. okay. so then going from there, when we went to um, the river, they were more they were Baptists and they taught more about like what what does it mean to be a baptist and different denominations in history and so for me at that time i was like maybe like 12 or 13 you know just about to enter high school and so i became much more interested in that stuff and uh, as i did become more interested i i wanted material you know i i always i was the kid who was always like hey can i ask a question kind of a thing and i would get in trouble a lot because i would be disruptive <laughs> my questions weren't what they wanted to talk about um and so I would wind up palling around with uh, very nice uh, youth pastors who were willing to give me time and attention because they were like, oh, well, you know, he cares. The other kids are asleep. So, you know, we're, we're happy one kid's awake, but I just wish you would ask, you know, like, how do I love Jesus more? And not like, how do we know that this happened? You know, um, That's so for, for me, that that my high school journey, uh, my parents now, they were like, okay, we know what Baptist is. We know that this stuff is important. So they sent me to a private uh, Christian school. I mean, I was always in like small private schools growing up, but it wasn't for religious reasons. It was just, my parents were like, we want to get you a good education or whatever. And then um, if they, that religious importance and knowledge being a way to God, uh, which is something that a lot of Protestants, I think, teach, especially this Baptist church we went to, they decided to send me to a, a private Christian school that was known for its theological stuff, a uh, very tiny local school called Cornerstone. And so I went there my, all my high school years, um, had a very thorough theological education from one of their educators there who's a, a big theological 
or very smart when it comes to the theological stuff, I guess, if that makes any sense. <laughs> um, so when we were going there, we ended up going to an even smaller church. And for me personally, it became a religious, religious stuff was a, an exercise, a mental exercise about, you know, do I feel connected to God? Well, what do I know about God? What understanding do I have? That's really what the bulk of my religion, religious experiences became. And then my, my dad offered me to join him on the worship team playing guitar with him. And so then that also became a kind of a family bonding thing. I would, I was now doing service. He was doing service. I got really, really involved in that. At least I felt like I was. Um, and, uh, my goals for myself going to church was always like, I want to feel guilty. Like I should go to a church service and come out and feel like, Oh yeah, I'm not a good person. I need God. And if I didn't feel that way, I would be like, that was a waste of time. Really? Um, yeah. Like that's interesting. Cause I, I don't know if maybe I were saying the same or having similar experiences, okay. but I, I would say when I went to church, I didn't come away with, well, how could I apply this to my daily life or something like that? Then it was a waste of time too. Mm. So Which I, also when you're going to like with tiny kids that you feel like that every right. week. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then at that point, it's just a, mal, a matter of training your kids to go to church, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah. But anyway, so it wasn't, it wasn't like that though. It was it's not, I was not a practical type Christian. Like I need practical things. For me, my relationship with God was always, I feel guilty. I feel like everything I do is dirty rags and I need God's forgiveness and blessing. And that's what that relationship looks like. So if there's times I'm not feeling that way, there's something wrong with me. I need to feel that way so that God can forgive me. And then now everything's good between me and the big guy. Um, so I'm wondering, is this, do you think that that was a personality thing or was it the church you went to? Or is, do you think that's just common um, with all religion? I think that... Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think there's parts of it that are common in at least all forms of Christianity, of the idea of, of you need God and being needy for God is part of what makes you a good Christian. If you don't, if you feel like you don't need God, who are you? You're not a good Christian. <laughs> um, but for me, especially going to, you know, the church, the school I went to was very Calvinistic and it was easy for me to le lean into that and feel that there was a a fairness to the world that exists because of that. Like God sets everything straight in the end. So if I feel like I'm a bad person or whatever, it's like, maybe I am, but he, I, he can change that. He's the one who's determining what everything is. I just got to make sure I'm doing what he wants me to do and I'm doing good. And so for me, that was my focus. That's interesting. I had a lot of thoughts going through there because I, I want to say some of the my favorite, and I don't really look at them as negative still, yeah. uh, classes that I took. So it with Latter-day Saints, they have classes that they take when they're in high school. It's like, so they'll like, either if you're not in Utah, you'll go like before school starts and have a, a religious class. And then um, if you live in Utah, they actually have like release time where you go like for one of your hours during school and you go out and you have <clears throat> this religious class. Um, and then Institute is your college level, same thing where you can take, uh, classes while you're going to college and go take a religious course. And I remember the idea was of like the enabling power of the atonement. So it's not that, it's not that you're terrible and you can't do better, but you do need Christ to be better. Yeah. Right. So 
I don't know. Is that similar? Is yeah, that yeah. Th that's definitely a part of it. But that was for me what I would always struggle with. Like, so we, we would do every day at, at school, you would have uh, a Bible class. And then on Mondays, you would have a uh, like a fake church service in the morning before you went to school. And then on Wednesdays, we would have a what do they call it? Uh, like a leadership class, which was essentially taking biblical values and saying, like, how do we apply this to being a good person and being a leader in where you are and that that kind of a thing. So that, that I do relate to at least that, that the way the education worked. Um, but that idea of like the power of Christ should enable you to change your life, be a better person, all that kind of stuff. I would always push back on that stuff so hard because I would hear that and go, sure, I'd like that to be true. But, you know, if I read the Bible, not only does Jesus give me the power to uh, make my life better, but Jesus also is supposed to give me the power to move a mountain. Um, and I feel like I can't get out of bed some mornings. So I don't think I'm tapping into that. If, if you know what I mean? Like I could be walking on water or raising the dead and I, I'm, you know, skipping my homework because I was too sleepy. I don't think Jesus and me have a good relationship. What am I doing wrong? Why why am I not right. getting that water walking stuff? So I'm trying to think of where you were when I derailed you. Uh, the last thing I was talking about was we're in the small church now and I'm on the worship team. And then at school, I'm I'm and at church, I'm looking for right. feeling guilty. If I don't yes, feel guilty, feeling guilty. Right. Then, I, then the message wasn't good. Because okay. uh, I know that if they're talking about the power, like the stuff, if, if they're talking about Jesus should give you power to change your life, then I'm going, well, that's not happening for me. So I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. But if they go, you know, Jesus should make you feel guilty, then I go, oh, okay. You know, that, that relates to me. <laughs> you know, really healthy stuff. Probably, probably could not be better for my mental health at the time. <laughs> well, and I guess that's another, I, we can explore that a little bit too. Um Maybe I shouldn't say anything profound because I'm going to move to a different room. All right. What I was going to ask you was, do you think that way that you felt, like, do you blame the teachings then? Or do you think there were teachings there that balance it out, but your personality was gravitating toward one side of that, if that makes mm. sense? Like, what? Okay. there was obviously... You know, it's kind of the idea between like grace and works, right? right. And sometimes people hear the grace part and right. maybe are apathetic. And then some people hear the works part and they they're keep on working, working, it. working. Well, no, they, they just... Turned, yeah, yeah, yeah. It excites go, them. Yeah, they go crazy and try to do all these works and then forget about the grace part. Yeah. And try to save themselves, I guess. I think I've always, as a person, had a, a skeptical nature to anything that I hear. And so when I would sit and kind of weigh the things I was hearing, I would assume that whatever seemed harsher was probably closer to reality. Mm, interesting. And so for me, there was a lot of times I would hear the, the message of grace and think, wow, they're really overplaying this because they're trying to get people to stay in the seats. But that also is because of my church journey. I mean, every time we left a church, it was a big deal for us and the family and talking about why are we doing this and can we do this and still be good Christians? And does this make us, you know, weak? You know, is this, is this bad? Are we making God upset? And the, the thing that we, we would always come back to is being able to look at a church and go, well, I can see that those who are in power and leading this church, I don't think that their heart is on what pleases God as much as, well, what's going to make our church successful? 
And so me knowing that from a young age definitely interpreted how I read messages because I, you know, every time a pastor was up there preaching, I knew God didn't enter his brain and teach him this lesson. He wrote it. So why did he write it? And if I could hear that there's a lot of grace and God loves you and, you know, you, all you need to do is be here in the church and tithe and you're doing good, I would know, oh, I bet you their numbers are down and he's trying to um, get more people in here. I mean, especially when I was on the worship team, I knew that there was a lot of, uh, for the leaders of the worship team, a lot of pressure on what songs are you guys playing? And, you know, if somebody comes in, can they, can everybody sing them? Because if you are picking a new song that people haven't heard, then they might feel less connected and that might make them want to go to a different church. And we don't want that to happen. We're very small. We need to keep oh, all our members. So I, I, not that I was ever a part of any of that. I was, you know, a high school kid. I just went up and played music, but I, I was aware of those types of conversations happening. Huh. Um, but then I at think this, that my skeptical, my skeptical part, the skeptical part of me says that's probably, I, I try to give the benefit of the doubt as much as I can to the leadership yeah. of the, uh, the Latter-day Saint church. But uh, there's part of me that thinks that kind of thinking is happening in the, in the highest levels. <laughs> it has to. I mean, right. I, but, I just think uh, but any that different, level, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have had that at a, a local congregational level. Everything was laid out exactly how you were supposed to operate the congregation. And I mean, it's volunteers at the local level, right? It's a, they call it a calling. So you're going to go do your, your um, volunteer work. But do, do you feel that Mormonism has that, that level of structure at every level? What do you mean? I mean, for, for my Protestant journey, we went from a church that was extremely structured because they had lots of financing and lots of people who were involved in it to a church that was medium and, you know, not as connected to their higher ups and, and more secluded to a church that felt like it was off on an island by itself, just 60 people figuring it out. Um, like, I don't think my... from bigger to smaller. Yes. I don't think my pastors ever went to a... Um, like a meeting with other pastors to discuss how the church function should, should be. I think that oh, it was it's, just whatever it's, he decided. The Latter-day Saint, they're, they're very organized. In fact, right. it, it was one of those things that for me was a selling point. It's like you yes. could move structure. To, yeah. Well, you could move across the country and have immediate recognition of what you were like, like, not skip a beat. Yeah, sure. It's like McDonald's. Like, Anywhere you go, you order the same thing and it's going to come out the same way. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah. They know your yeah. order. <laughs> yeah. There, there's, yes, <laughs> that's exactly yeah. how it was. And so, yeah. And then, and they're, they have that leadership all the way down. Like they have uh, the highest level, which is the 12 apostles and the first presidency. And then below that, they have the first quorum of the 70. Yeah. And then they're, and then they have, another quorum of the 70 and then those people come around to the stake presidents and then the stake presidents and then it's the bishops. Like they have this right. whole level of, yeah, it's organization. Yeah. And see, for me, when I was practicing, I felt like, Oh, this is, this works good. Like this is obviously God's true church. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, so let me, let me finish my, my story and then we can come right back to this point because this is part of what, derails me completely out of it and then with my my father which we've kind of talked about before but okay. with my father get, got him into eastern orthodoxy so spoiler alert <laughs> uh, eastern orthodoxy is going to pop up um so for for me as i'm learning all this stuff i really felt like 
even with the guilt and stuff that I was feeling that following God's will and God having a purpose for my life was important. And so I felt that the way I would know God's will is by the, my natural desires combined with reading the word and making sure nothing I was feeling was um, against it. Like, oh, I can feel things that are wrong, but if I feel something and it lines up with God's word, then I'm probably fine. You know, I'm supposed to do that. And so I, I really got hook, line, and sinker into that my church. I um, ended up marrying the pastor's daughter. Um, and I, you know, was very involved in their life and and re really let, what the activities of the church were important to me. But then as that developed, I became disinterested because now there was family drama tied into the church. So then mm -hmm. I ended up going to a different church. <laughs> And this well, is when I was you're married to the pastors. Yeah. So then this, church. this was, you know, oh, I feel very guilty about everything. <laughs> were not, it was not nice to the people who were there. I, I, I apologize. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, so we ended up going to a different church and then that just was very stale. It was another, like a satellite of a Bayside. So I was trying to kind of return to where I had started and I felt like it was all very shallow and skin deep and, you know, the, the feeling for structure or organization or like, this is the best way God figured out how to do this is just like, here's my word, go figure it out. This cannot be that this is the best theory he had. Um, and so I spent a long time not going to church, but still being a believer. Um, my relationship with my wife completely deteriorated and we ended up getting divorced. Um, and uh, very painful time for me. But religiously, I was reading the Bible and feeling like I got to figure out, like I'm doing things that are wrong here. It's got to be something in me again. Uh, I've got to find what the, the truth is. And my father and I both separately, similar to him and my mom, came to Eastern Orthodoxy and like, oh, have you heard of this? You want to talk about structure? This thing has structure that goes. Why that know, over Catholicism? Just curious. We're Protestants. Okay. There's no dirtier word than Catholicism. Really? Because I yes. mean, <laughs> I mean, Eastern Orthodoxy is like so much like Catholicism. That it is, like I but can't it's, it's how the mystery is still one there. Is, one is bad and one is not. It's because you didn't know much about it. Before. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like if you, you're a kid in college and your parents are very conservative and you know that socialism is wrong, but then you hear about Karl Marx and you're like, oh, I didn't know that th this is the same thing. Oh, so then after you learn about Karl Marx, you know, you can still be like, no, I'm not a socialist. I see. I'm okay. a Marxian. I have a different, they're similar, but they're not the same thing. And you're like, that's true. You're correct. But do you see how like from the outside, I just categorize both of them together. Okay. <laughs> I don't even, I'm not looking for differences. I just say, well, oh yeah, the that's th the, those things. <laughs> I guess just the things that you would probably dislike about Catholicism, I feel like is similar in Eastern Orthodoxy, but unless it's all about well, uh, having a living Pope, right? I and mean, that's the biggest difference. When I, I was younger, yes. When I was younger, the idea of like the structure of the church was a huge turnoff. But as I, you know, reached an age of semi-maturity, the those things didn't, but the theology did. Because I, I would argue that the theology of, I mean, any Protestant from Mormonism to uh, like the most non-denominational out there are all very Catholic light. There's a lot of Catholic thinking and Western thought that is developed in how those work. I mean, even the, the name, if you're a Protestant, right, that comes from you're protesting. What are you protesting? You're protesting the Catholic church. 
Hmm. Every decision that Protestant churches make essentially is just like, how do we feel about what the Catholics do? And we don't want to do it. So you're, it's, you know what I mean? It's like an ugly mirror version of Catholicism. Orthodoxy, on the other hand, is what Catholicism, go ahead. Uh, I don't know that I would. That's a negative myself. light. I put a well, negative light on no, it. No, 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 no. I think, no, you're explaining it, I think, well, from what I understand. It's just you lumped Mormonism into Protestants. And even though, like, there was a lot of, uh, pro there was a lot of uh, Protestant revival stuff going on during the time when Joseph Smith yeah. uh, lived. Uh, he His claim is not that the Catholics are wrong. It's, well, it is. It is. It's it everybody's is. wrong. Yes, it it's, is. But yeah. we're restoring what the Catholics claim to but have. Th that's what so, every single denomination claims. To if you're a Baptist, it's the Catholics are wrong and we're restoring with the classic. If you're a, a Calvinist, that's true. John okay. Calvin understood that this is originally what Jesus said. They all make the same claim. I mean, any any Christian denomination makes the same claim of we're following what Jesus actually wanted us to do. And everybody like else has made a mistake. Maybe I'm wrong. My understanding is that Protestants kind of are look at the Bible for being the source material for what they can know God wants yes. versus uh, Catholicism says that we have the authority and see Mormonism comes in and says, well, no, we have the authority. Right. But, and, but, so in, in a way it's a little different than Protestants. Right. Not... Anyway. Unless again, unless you're like Lutheran or you're uh, very Calvinistic, because they would say you're correct that the Bible solo scriptura, if it's not in the Bible, it doesn't count. But if you say, okay, I, I believe you, now let me give you my interpretation of the Bible, then they would still fight against that. So they don't, wouldn't recognize with their mouth this idea of, well, there's an authority that you know exists that goes through a, uh, um, a lineage of deacons and stuff like that. Okay. To summarize what I was saying, um, th that the, they wouldn't recognize with their mouth this idea of uh, lineage, of like uh, apostolic lineage. But they do practice this idea of an apostolic theology, that your interpretation can be wrong. But they don't say that. What they say is, solo scriptura, you know, it's just from it's the Bible. It's obvious. <laughs> right, exactly. It's obvious. If you disagree with me, then you're not reading the Bible right. right. Well, how is the right way to read the Bible? Like, how do you know? And then they would say, well, this is what the original authors intended. And then you go, oh, so you do have apostolic. Like, that's the same thing. It's just you yeah. don't call it that because... That's what Catholics call it. And we right. can't be Catholic. Whatever we are, <laughs> we cannot that. be Catholic. <laughs> so okay. that, that gave Eastern Orthodoxy a little bit of a leg up when it came okay. to what I wanted to discover. Because those are the things I wanted. Is I, want, I, I was interested in, I want apostolic authority. I want apostolic truth. But um, I don't want it just to be Western theology. I don't want to wind up in the same spot. And I think that's one of the things that Eastern Orthodoxy offers. Because even, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think even in Mormonism, you find Mormons who will debate ideas like, how old is the earth? Right? Yeah. That, that might be something that comes up. In Orthodoxy, they won't even talk about it. It's not an issue. They go, we don't, either way, it doesn't flipping matter. It doesn't affect the book. Oh, I think that, no, I think that is actually true in Mormonism too. Okay. But it, it kind of depends on what you're, when you're talking about. Because right. I think... If it were 50 years ago, yeah. you might have leaders of the church kind of making fun of people that believe in evolution. Right. You wouldn't hear that today, though. Right. They've and changed. as yes. And as and far as let me give you an example. Go ahead. When I was uh, when I was going to institute, the institute professor 
debated the biology professor. They're both Latter-day Saints. One was uh, advocating for the young earth and the other one was advocating for like not young earth, whatever. The actual earth. (laughs) Biology, what biology (laughs) says. (laughs) What a biology professor would say. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I walked away from that going, oh, so it doesn't matter. You can be a Latter-day Saint and it doesn't matter, right? Like so that's that's a relatively new idea to Mormonism. And I think this is something that for me gave a huge leg up to orthodoxy. And again, I'm no expert in orthodoxy, and the hardest part about it is most of it is in a different language. Mm -hmm. Like if you only speak English, you're a dumbass like me, it's you're gonna have a hard time because there's not a lot of stuff for you. You've got to find translations of things and and you know, invest in that kind of a thing. Like I have a book somewhere in here that a, a priest gave me on loan um, that's a, a translation of John Christostatum's writings. And so if, if I wanted to speak to them and say, well, I want to talk about like, what do you guys think about evolution or creation? They're like, we don't have anything on it. It hasn't come up yet because they're so slow to change. I mean, like the, the, they have splits, they have their own problems, but these things, they take like hundreds of years to work out. They just do their rituals every week and they keep doing them and they keep doing them. And if it's not directly related, it's not an issue. Yes. It's so different than even Catholicism where you can find, you know, in American Catholicism, the changes are so frequent that there are stand-up comedians who do bits on them. You know, they'll do a bit like, you know, they, you say, uh, and with you, and now you say, and with your spirit, this is not the same thing when I was a kid. Like that's how much there's change. If you were an Orthodox comedian, you couldn't even do bits like that because it's been Hmm. the same thing for a couple hundred years. Hmm. If there was an Orthodox church where a priest wanted to try something new, the people in the church would revolt. (laughs) That is super interesting. Yeah. So that, that to me was really attractive. And then I liked that they had a different take theologically, because if I was going to say, well, do you think Calvinism or or Arminianism, they would say, we haven't talked about that yet. We're not there. Like that's, that's too recent. We would instead, you know, quote what, what like Erasmus said, or, you know, this is a a writing of origin or what does Justin the martyr teach on this? Like guys who were living in, you know, 200 AD, that's who they're checking with. And I was like, whoa, you know what I mean? That's cool. <laughs> you mean it, it's not just some new hot book is going to come out and that's going to change how our church functions? Hmm. Like, no, no, it won't. And so for that's me, that's interesting that, because that means there's a lot of there's a lot of the issues that I feel religions are dealing with because as you know, we became more scientific than they tried to make scientific claims. But yep. if you're in a church old enough that was kind of before the science, like the scientific method was in use, Yep. then you're not going to run into those issues as much. Yep. And so that, that's what they, it, the, to finish my story and then address that point directly. Um, so then as I started looking into this, my dad really started looking into it. Like for me, it was a cursory thing. I said, this is a really cool thing. I probably want to do more research on, but I'm okay where I am. Just, I pray on my own. I read my Bible by myself. I'm not going to go to church for a little bit. I'll be okay. For my dad, he was like, I can't be in the church I'm in anymore. This isn't seven years had gone by and he knew he needed another church. <laughs> um, and so he went in hook, line and sinker. He found a local Orthodox church, started going twice a week, uh, got, got to know people there, made friendships, just really got himself involved. Um, and so we've had a lot of discussions about that. And so I, I went and talked to an Orthodox priest 
so the, now, now we're catching up to modern times. So about a year ago, I was started watching guys like Christopher Hitchens and atheist guys and listening to what they were saying about the conversation with God, because now I'm not going to church. I feel like God exists, but there's still stuff in my life that's gone really wrong. And I'm thinking, well, how am I supposed to figure out how to fix this if I can't hear from God? If I can't go to a, a building and hear from him, if I the people I talk to who say that they hear from him, I don't respect and I think they might be wrong. Who do I go to? And so I started watching a lot of th those types of new atheists, and that got me moving the needle, but not enough to get it all the way out. And then I transferred from watching debates to just watching people discussing things. And that's how I ended up finding a lot of YouTube guys that like Pine Creek and other guys like that, that do, you know, T-Jump, guys like that, that do debates, but then they also do videos that are just a conversation with someone they disagree with. Mm -hmm. And and that really got me to a point that I went, oh, okay, like it can't, it can't be my faith cannot be founded on a rational understanding of the world. If I want to have faith, it has to come from a different place. And that's when I went and spoke with an Orthodox priest. And his entire point when he spoke to me was, I'm a young man. I don't know anything, right? I'm not college educated. I don't have, I can't speak Greek. Like if I want to learn all this stuff, it's going to take a ton of time. But hmm. that over time, my mind will become what he called an Orthodox mind. I will stop thinking of things logically and rationally and start thinking of things from an orthodox perspective. And you can and that, become like Jonathan Peugeot. <laughs> over time, um, which my rebuttal to that was, well, what if I, I had a Mormon friend who said, well, you just have to come to church and eventually you'll have a Mormon mind. Yeah. If I wanted to say like, no, I didn't want to try that. What would I say? And then the orthodox priest was like, well, you should try it. And if it works for you, you know, it works for you. But if it doesn't, we're always here. And then I was like, yeah, that's for my whole life. I've been trying stuff that hasn't worked out for me. I'm trying to avoid doing that for a little bit. <laughs> if that's an option on the, if you're telling me the only option is I just got to keep sticking my hand in fires and getting burned until I find one that's the right temperature. Like, thanks for the advice, buddy. But that's what I was coming to you to talk about. <laughs> like, yeah, I got the concept. Yeah, it was very, it was very frustrating to me. Um, and so then about four or five months ago, I finally said, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to stop praying. So during that four or five months, you were yeah. going to a church then and just no. talking with the priest or I would, I would, as I would schedule meetings with people like other Christians I knew and stuff and say, Hey, can I come talk to you? And I was annoying the oh, hell okay. out of my parents. Okay. Calling so you're them just, and you're, harassing you're in research them. mode for four or five months then. Yes. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I was in research mode, I would say for like a year. Okay. And then in the last four or five months, I said, all right, this is it. I'm, I'm going to pull the plug. And I stopped praying and I, I, I still read the Bible, but not at all in a religious context, just because I, I like the artistic creation of what it is. I think it's a really good book. Two thumbs up. Mm -hmm. I have one thumb up. There's some things I don't like about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I said, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm an atheist. I identified myself as an atheist to myself and uh, nothing bad's happened to me yet. <laughs> so it's been really nice. But yeah, all right. that's my story. Yeah, that that's a super. Uh, you're, I, I'm curious about your dad a little bit. So he's he goes to church every yes. week. So then my parents recently moved to Oregon. So he's living in a beautiful coastal house, and he drives about an hour and a half, two hours ish to Salem once a week to participate in church. And as far as I understand, he is now. Um, I don't know what the term is called. I think they call it a godfather, but he like there's a new person who's joined the church and he's like the guy who's going to help 
help him get used to it and get acclimated because there's a lot of it's hard when you go to an orthodox service it's like going into a time machine and you're like what what is everyone doing why are we standing why are we sitting like at least with catholicism they there's like you you have notes you can kind of follow along you know what's going on but orthodoxy in america it's just like they just started allowing like okay maybe we can have some some services in english huh. you know it's like, it's it's a very very different and so you you kind of need a guide to be with you to be like okay so now what the priest is doing is he's preparing this thing okay he's going to come out in about two minutes we're going to have to stand up and you're going to want to watch the cross you're going to see everyone turns together that's what you want to do you know like, <laughs> and like teach them how to fit in that is super interesting i would um i want to go to one but it's like an hour away for me to yeah. go and we actually have an acquaintance that is greek orthodox yep and he knows the guy that is the one that's an hour away from us. He like, cause I guess it's a small world when you're yep. in <laughs> orthodoxy. I mean, with Mormonism, you guys all know each other, but kind with of. orthodoxy, it's even more. It's crazy. I, yeah. I, they really do all know each other. They're like, yeah. Oh yeah, I met that guy. You're like, how, what, well, how did you meet? We, this guy? And I don't know if this is like Greek culture or Greek Orthodox culture, but we went to, an Easter celebration mm -hmm. of the acquaintance. Um, and he was, that was just a really cool, Yeah, like Mormons think they're like all about family. Like my big fat Greek wedding, that that's yes. family. Yes. <laughs> like, it's it's like, so, it's so insane how different like a religion can be, you know, cause it's like the fundamentals you all recognize. Like you go in and you're like, Oh yeah, that's a picture of Jesus. Like I know, I know who that is. But then, like, you know, they'll lean over and kiss one of the paintings. And you're like, oh, I didn't know we were doing that. You know, <laughs> like, there's a lot of stuff that's like that. That's like, wait, why are we lighting candles? Wait, why is there, like, 40 kids over there? What are they doing? Like, what's <laughs> happening here? Shouldn't right. they be, like, in another room? Right. <laughs> no, that's uh, – that's so, anyway, so your dad has been practicing for how long? Uh, I think two and a half years. And he's like already that. that guy, huh? Yeah, well, he, my dad, I have a lot of respect for him because he's a very, he's like slow to jump, but then if he chooses to jump, then he's all in. Hmm. And he, you, he's. Do you guys talk about religion at all? I try as much as I can to, and he tries as much as he can to avoid it. Oh, really? Like. Yeah, he hates it because he's always said, you know, I'm a debater. I, I, he always used to say, which I took as an insult as a kid, you should, you should be a lawyer which I was always like, no, I'm not trying to be a lawyer. I'm trying to say what I'm thinking. <laughs> um, like one of the last conversations we had, we had this talk about, you know, recognizing God. And he was saying, well, he can recognize God through the church. And then I said, okay, well, how does the church recognize God? And he was like, well, the church can recognize God, you know, across time with the things that it does. And I said, okay, so if I'm Buddhist and I tell you I recognize God because of my Buddhist church across time, and I have the things that Buddhism has taught. How do you know that yours is God and theirs is not God? And then he just sat on the phone for a second and he goes, You should have been a lawyer. I'm telling you. Like, yeah, he just, <laughs> he gets to a point where he's just like, I don't want to talk anymore. You're making me think that I might be wrong, and I don't want to think that. <laughs> He says that, or you just, that's, that's me. You... That's me interpreting yeah. what, what he's feeling. But I know that is what it is, is that he likes talking to me when we, because I love the history of it. So we can talk for hours about, did you know that this guy died in this century, but his last words were this, and then this, his 
this guy became the archdeacon of this place. And like, I love that. I eat that up. So we, we bond over that a lot, but mm-hmm. then, you know, he'll say like, isn't that amazing? You know, this shows God's handiwork. And then I'm like, well, that just seems like something that those people did. So, so it's important <laughs> to your dad then that he's in the right church. Uh, no, he, uh, he's expressed to me multiple times because I actually use Mormonism a lot. It's something that I, um, I really echo from, from Doug from Pine Creek. I've always said Mormonism it seems so legitimate except for all the parts where it doesn't like there's so many things about mormonism that it's like it's just so attractive to me like the idea of like we have living witnesses of something that has happened like why can't the normal church have that right so i'll use mormonism against my dad a lot and say well why don't you become a mormon because this fits a lot of the niches that you were looking for in orthodoxy only you can be a rational person they at least have evidence <laughs> there's at least a guy that we we know of that wrote the book. You know what I mean? Like, like there's there's a lot of better better things you can add here that might be nice. But for him, he's he's expressed me multiple times. He's like, you know what? If it turns out we die and I get to heaven and God's like, it wasn't orthodoxy, it was Catholicism. You know, I'll say, sorry, Lord. Like whatever you want is what I want to do. He, for him, it's all about he wants to get to heaven and get to hang out with God. That's his goal. So when can you use that excuse too and say, well, when I get to heaven and I guess I'm wrong and there is a God, I'll just tell him I did what I honestly thought. And I honestly so, thought atheism was the right choice. What I, what I always say to my dad, cause we've talked about that before. Um, cause he's, he's asked me essentially that like, well, wouldn't you bend the knee kind of a thing? And I said, well, I'm at the point now where if I did get to heaven and there is a God and he says, yeah, I am the God of the Bible. I did tell Abraham to kill his son. I did drown every single person who was alive i did do all of these things and i'm a really good guy then i would say uh i don't think you are i guess i'll go to the other place because this i i don't think we're going to be friends none uh, of my you, friends have you'd drowned people. You would, you'd give them the, the pine creek bit then <laughs> yeah i pretty much the, the pine creek bit when i heard doug do that for the first time it, it really solidified because i used to say if i got to heaven i would just have to say where's the elevator because I knew I would be going down. I knew I, at that the point that I decided, you know, I'm an atheist. I thought that was what the deal was. Hmm. So, but I've heard other atheists who do say like, um, well, what if you get to heaven and God says, yeah, I do exist, but I, the only people who are allowed in are the people who could figure out that there was no good evidence. So if you <laughs> believed in me, you were a rube and you go down and the other the atheists get to stay here. And I do think that's a really funny idea of... <laughs> Uh, what's get the up there and we're, <laughs> it's all these atheists who are like, yo, I thought I hated you, dude, but that was a great prank. <laughs> what's that? Richard Dawkins has, he has a part in the his book that's something like that. Like, he's just like, I, I mean, this is what I honestly think. So, I mean, <laughs> what, right. are, what are you, you going to do about it? <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. Like, if, if you think what you think, how are you supposed to not think it? And that's, right. that's always been for me the struggle with Christianity because it literally teaches a contradictory ideas that yeah. you determine what you think and you determine what you do. And yet let's read the Bible. And here's this guy, Paul, who God like literally strikes off of a horse and changes his mind. <laughs> well, if God does that, why doesn't he do that to everybody? I don't understand. He could, he just blinded a dude and then literally gave him sight and taught him that he existed why doesn't right. god just do that for everybody i don't yeah, understand I, so when i 
And I think of the idea of God. Like I, I, I don't think those are the strongest cases for using that kind of. I don't know. Like you could say, uh, for example, God doing these crazy, irrational, unloving things sometimes is like more of a representation of God being reality and just being something greater than us, right? Okay. So God being more not defined. It's like the second you define God is the the second that God is uh, debunkable. (laughs) Right. But I mean, that's not the case. Isn't that the case with everything? Like if Mm -hmm. I said all ravens are black, then you'd be like, oh, okay, now I, I, all I got to do is find a raven that's not black and I can prove that what he just said is wrong. But if I said, oh, I have a feeling about how black ravens and what they mean to my life and how they impact me, you could say, hey, I found something that's not a black raven. Doesn't that disprove what you said? And I could say, well, no, 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 that's, that's not exactly what I said. I can weasel out of getting pricked by that because I, I didn't clearly define it. You well, know? do you think there, there's not any useful... Um, there's no use in having the idea of God of having something greater than yourself. Just no, I think it's extremely important to have an idea of something that's greater than yourself. But I think that society has been growing and growing and growing, and that we're changing what is fulfilling that need. Because I mean, clearly, I, this is something that you you mentioned to me when we were talking in private about that the idea of total atheism leads to um, nihilism. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been thinking about that a lot. And I almost feel like anything leads to nihilism. Even if I believe that God exists and he's preordained my whole life and created everything for me to do. But then don't can't I think about that and say, well, like, well, then why am I here if he hasn't told me? And like I can I can make enough anxiety in myself over that that I can feel nihilistic and feel like what's the point of doing anything? And there's a or- big guy in the sky. Um, I'd like to add to that a little bit. Uh, Like if you are in a religious paradigm where you're not able to fit into what you think you're being taught that you need to be, here's a good example. You're gay and you're taught that you can't have a same sex relationship. relationship. So, I mean, you can get to a point where you feel stuck. I mean, and it can be even as simple as, man, I've been trying my whole life to, do this thing that is a Sunday school answer. And I know I'm supposed to be doing every day and I've never had the discipline to be able to do this thing that I know I'm supposed to be doing all the time. And, and you get to the point where it's like, "Eh, I guess I can't really change that. And so my fate is sealed and I'm not going to try. I think trying like trying is more the thing that, but in order to try, you kind of have to have a why, right? I don't know, because I think that let's say you and I sat here and talked for 45 minutes and we got me to a point where I was totally like, you're right. We're all going to burn out. The sun's going to go that we're all dead, everything. And a guy just busts in here right now with a gun like I'm going to (laughs) run, you know, like even if I'm at the point where I'm like, I don't even know if I want to live or not. There's like everything that's alive has this innate desire to not want to change that situation. It, It you know, even, you know, you can get to a point where you are suicidal, but I think that, that everybody has a natural inclination to want being, wanting to be alive. I would, I would say that there are different modes of, in different times in my life where I've been right. more, motiv- more motivated and less motivated. Right. 
and I think there are different practices that you can have in your life that lead you to one path or the other too. True. And so I, I guess when I think of like religion and all those things being passed down, I kind of think that that's helping us, uh, I don't know. It's helping us get Want those. Auto- alive. Well, no, it's, it's helping us get those automatic behaviors. And, and so then once those things are, you know, habit, then you can, I don't, I don't know. Like it, it's hard to, hard to quite, <clears throat> it's hard to explain exactly what I'm trying to say, but I don't know. I don't, I don't like the idea of people being stuck. And I think people can be stuck with in any paradigm, right? right. Um, I'm not so, saying that people have to believe in God. But so but, yeah, so that's what we're talking about is what's the method that gets them unstuck. Mm-hmm. Right. So I would make the argument that it's art. And I would make the argument that even in religion, it's still art. That but, the, go ahead. I love that. Um, that's one thing that I've noticed. I feel like the Mormon church is very legalistic and it's mm-hmm. lacking a lot of that artistic. Like Joseph Smith, he was very open. Like yeah. he was, I would say, extremely open. He wrote an and, entire book, Stream of Conscious. I but, mean, he, but he's clearly an artist. But it's been canonized and it's been and it's been unchanged, or at least they try to unchange it, but it does change gradually over time, just like all religions do. But mm-hmm now it's in a place where it's super legalistic like your buildings are cookie cutter they're not beautiful like it's uh not artistic right um like so Stalinism. anyway it well it i didn't see it until actually I, I kind of left and i was like wow like i was all about the dogma like the legalistic stuff like because i was excited to have the truth right and happy to follow the truth but uh but I mean, I would make the argument too. I'm sure you have moments where that you still can remember that were like, I felt connected to God. And I mean, I don't know your life, but I would say for me, the vast majority of those moments, there's music playing or there's a, a pastor who's preaching a sermon that he spent time to write and create for us, or there's a Bible quotation that we've done. And I would say, yeah, all of these types of things, these are forms of art. These are forms of human expression. And mm-hmm. in that is where we get that feeling where we're like, oh, not only do I want to go on, but I'm excited for tomorrow. And you can yeah. do that. The concept of God is is a, a, something that the art uses, and it's a great fuel. But it is not the only thing that needs to be fueled. And it's something to me that becoming an atheist has been very disappointing because of how difficult it is for me to find artists that I go, oh, I really like this guy because they're fueled by something that's not God and they make good art. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So why do you think that is? Uh, Because I think that, especially in the West, in in America, uh, we have lots of groups of people who are extremely motivated to keep people in church. They are not interested in somebody who's making art that doesn't include God. So that motivation is coming, but if, if art can be that, if art can be that thing that gives us the meaning, right? Mm-hmm. Well, why are the atheists failing at creating it? Like, oh, uh, I, I guess I wouldn't say failing. I would say that there are great works of art that are made by atheists that can be enjoyed by lots of people that are, are beautiful things. I just think that they're not as um, easily accessible. They're not as popular. They're not as uh, uh, 
they're not pandered to a lot. And I think, again, it's that's our whole country. Like we, we were talking about with presidents, like what's the last president you know of that doesn't pray? You know, like the the, mm-hmm. the theme of we are a Christian nation is still pretty strong everywhere. And so if some something is like, I want to make a, a statement that is a beautiful statement that is openly like has nothing to do with God, there are a lot of people who will create controversy surrounding it. I mean, anything from in the 70s with the scare of, uh, you know, oh, D&D is from Satan to even with the the Harry Potter books when those came out. I remember Christians who would say, if you read Harry Potter, you're going to, which is like by a Christian author, you know, like, but the fear of something not connecting to God is so large with within Christian culture. I think they do everything they can to suppress that. They mm. don't want their kids to see it. They don't want to see it themselves. They don't want it to be there. Hmm. That's interesting. Like, I think, um, like, think about the Indiana Jones franchise. Right. I, I know Christians who love Indiana Jones. Right. Especially the first one and the last one, which have, you know, the, the Ark of the Covenant and the uh, the Cup of Christ. But you talk about that middle movie and they're like, oh, isn't that the one where they go to like India or something? That's the worst one. I don't like that one. It doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. <laughs> hmm. I remember that one seemed really creepy. Eating that guy's heart or whatever. Yeah, and it's it's a, no. Was he the eating three, the heart? Or he just no, grabs he rips the heart. It, he rips it out of his chest while he's alive. Yeah. It, there's I, and like Indiana Jones slaps a child in that one. It is a rough one. I'm not saying that that's the <laughs> only reason not to like that one, but you know, multifaceted. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Well, um, I'm trying to decide if I, I, I we've been going for about an hour, so mm-hmm. I think that's good. We can okay. wrap it up. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? I feel like I could, I could talk to you for a long time. I'm very interested in your perspective and there's a lot about Mormonism. I've been learning over the week, uh, working on this bit. And, oh yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do think it's funny cause you were mentioning a person who tr- went from being a Mormon to being a Christian or being a Protestant non-Mormon. And well, that's interesting. She did have, she did have Christian in her childhood too. Right. And then she met her husband and then converted. And then it was, I think it might've been her husband that found out information. She's like, oh, well then I guess this means Joseph Smith wasn't a prophet. And then I can't remember how they found, I think they, they were looking around for different churches and then they found one they liked. So. Yeah. See, I, I'm, I'm, that's the, one of the things that's the most fascinating to me is people who hop religions. Probably because, because I, she's a convert. That's why maybe. Maybe. Right. But I, I know people who were born and raised Mormon who then became Christian. And it's just so crazy to me, like, because you'll speak. I mean, I just have personal examples. So it's very anecdotal. But like uh, there was a guy I met when I was in Utah who was a pastor of a uh, Baptist church. And uh, I put my foot in my mouth. I didn't know he was a Baptist, a pastor of a Baptist church. And I was talking to some friends and he was there and I was ripping on Mormonism a little bit because I knew he wasn't Mormon. Um, and that I was, you know, pointing out things that to me, it's like, well, this is so inconsistent. How can you believe that this is a literal fact? You know, it's like, and then you also just believe that Jesus rose from the dead and he can walk on water. And like, these are all just things that happened in history. And then that <laughs> triggered him. And it was just so funny to me that he could easily rattle off like, well, this is how we know Joseph Smith wasn't a real prophet. This is how we know that that, you know, this was fake from Mormonism. But then I would be like, okay, let's apply that same logic to the Gospels. 
And then he was like, well, no, that's crazy. <laughs> like, clearly the gospels are true, but you use the same methodology and you, how can you say that? <laughs> you have to use something different, man. You can't, don't pretend there's a rational, reasonable way to believe what you believe. You already figured out that using the rational and reasonable lost you one religion, you know, like, <laughs> I, I just don't get it. I, oh man, I, I wish I could speak for them. I don't know either. I don't get it either. <laughs> that's, that's what you should, instead of having me on, you should have had somebody who, that, that you can really hone in on that with that. I was a wasted guest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did, I did want to ask, we talked about this before, but I'll let our guests hear your answering of it again. Like it fascinates me. The church hopping fascinates me, I guess, yeah. because I don't know. I'm just not used to having to shop for a church. Like yeah. that's not, that's so foreign to me. Um, Like how, so for, for my, my experience was like my whole world collapsed when I was, it, it collapsed. Like my belief collapsed. Like, I, I don't know how to describe it. It wasn't like this choice I had where I decided I'm going to have this thought and then I'm going to decide to leave. Like, that's not how it happened. It was more like I entertained the idea that I like, if this isn't actually true, then it's not. Like, is this actually, I, I did maybe let myself ask the question, but then when you learn this whole set of information, you know, like the way that I did think, or I was hoping it was like, it wasn't like I even knew it was that way. Right. It was always a faith or a hope that it was this way. Right. But you learn a set of information and all of a sudden it just collapses. Like, and it was, um, I, I I describe it as the hardest thing I've ever gone through. Like, and I haven't ever lost anyone super close to me. So maybe that would feel similar, but it was very, very difficult. So yeah. I don't know what kind of gravity when you were going from church to church, did you have similar, like. Well, the, the church to church stuff was not necessarily because of my or my family's personal theolo theological views, but because we found the church that we were going to, didn't affirm what we believed. Like mm -hmm. we thought, okay, God is like this. And then we would go to church and hear how they say God is and go, does that even sound like the same guy we've been praying to? Mm -hmm. um, and especially with the first one that we did, it was really, really hard, especially for me. I was a kid. I had lots of friends. I had like a lot of relationships. I was involved in a program for fifth and sixth graders where um, you uh, like, week by week track your progress and learning verses and all that kind of stuff. Not a wanna, but a different similar thing. And so there's a lot, there was a lot I was invested in. It was really hard to do, but we knew somebody else who had left. And so that was like, showed us it was a possibility. Like, mm -hmm. Oh, we respect this person. And they went to a different church because what they believed didn't match Bayside. So mm -hmm. then it became like, is what we believe match the church we go to and when we found the answer was no then we either need to change what we believe or change the church we go to and we changed the church we went to so it wasn't as earth shattering as far as belief destruction because the belief is what we were the most firm in it was shattering only in the aspect of like man why doesn't why did god let this happen why is there a church that talks about god and he just lets them say things we think aren't true so did you did you have any moment like that then where uh, relationships with 
previous church members? Did you maintain those relationships or once you stopped going? It, well, I was they... a kid. So uh, there a lot of those type of relationships fell by the wayside, just like as you grow older, right? You know, yeah. going from sixth grade to, you know, what is that? Like going to, into junior high, you already are like, well, I hung out with those guys when I was younger. And then mm-hmm. by the time I got into high school, like I didn't contact any of those old, that, they're all old friends. They're not... Mm-hmm. What about what what about more recently? Yeah, recently when I when I stepped out of the church, the process like completely gone. That that process was very very painful. There were a lot of um, relationships that I thought I was closer to um, mm-hmm. that shocked me. But uh, see, I uh, you were talking about like having those really painful moments. My divorce was extremely painful for me, mm-hmm. and um, one of the biggest parts of it were the relationships I thought I was close with and people who just never wanted to talk to me again. They treated me like I was Satan. Hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know I could be, you know, like turn into a bad guy so quickly. But now was that and at that point you weren't like even like I think I feel like sometimes people treat atheists like that a little bit. But you weren't. That's not why. I I mean, I thought I was a Christian who was making a a mistake, you know, Hmm. (laughs) and they thought I was, you know, a a wolf in sheep's clothing. Hmm. And I was like, man, that stinks. So, but then when the atheist stuff started happening, I started questioning whether or not God existed. There was already people who were like, oh, well, you know, you already got divorced. You obviously didn't believe in God to begin with. And I was like, wow, that really hurts because uh, I did. I had lots of sleepless nights. That was not like an easy decision I made. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm glad that your opinion of me is so little. <laughs> hmm. But, you know, that I think that's just something that is uh, one of the biggest detractors of religion is that judgment side. Um, and that's a, you know, I'm not the first person to say that people at church seem really judgy, but yes, they do. Yes and, yes and no. I think it's more of like a tribal thing. If I, I, I think humans are tribal. And I so, agree, but I think and churches, so churches are a tribe. Maybe. I, I guess I'm, I feel like. What other, I, I mean, do you think I that there are like, other groups that you can have like a father disown their child? I think politics do that. I don't know. I, I guess I, I. it's hard for it's me a, to imagine. Like It's extreme uh, cases, right? Right. But I think it's more common in church. I know multiple people in my own life who've been disowned from their family because of religious stuff. I don't know a single person who's like, yeah, I decided to be Republican and now my parents won't talk to me. You know, like I, I've never seen uh, that. I, I know more of the later than the former. Okay. Interesting. And, and maybe it's not even... It's just something. Maybe they they just don't talk about it or something. But I can't say I know personally. But, I mean, are, are they invited for disowned? Christmas or not? What do you mean? Because like, that's I, for me. like I know people who, when Christmas dinner happens, they have a kid that's not allowed to be there because they're not. Well, I don't. I don't know any. I don't know anybody personally that has that going okay. on at all. So. Oh, well, that's sure. good. That's really yeah. good. I'm glad to hear that. That's a positive. That fills me with hope. Hmm. I feel like um, like you're talking about your dad's relationship where you guys can have conversations. Yeah. It seems like you guys have a really good relationship. Oh, yeah. You're able to do that. Like, I'm very that's lucky. really Both cool. my parents. Because I, I had a not, great upbringing. Not a, I think that's less common, like to yeah. be able to even to like be an open atheist and talking to your Latter-day Saint parent yeah. in that kind of way, um, I think would be rare. Yeah, but again, not, not impossible, but rare. My parents, again, they weren't raised religious. 
So me going through this phase, my dad's like, yeah, I used to be an atheist. Oh, so, you know, he so for him, so, he, he's I'll thinks, come around. Yeah. <laughs> you are young and you just aren't very experienced. So maybe yeah. you'll figure it out someday. Yeah. Which and then whenever he says stuff like that, I always like to quip to him like, yeah, but you know more about being young than being old. <laughs> and then he's always like, well, that's true. <laughs> that's that's the human condition. I don't think we ever know anything about being old. <laughs> yeah. No, that's interesting. No, I have I have hope that I don't know. I feel like I feel like relationships are possible and I think it's a a good skill to have to be able to have good relationships with people that fundamentally disagree with you. Yeah, but what what would you say about a person who can't do that? Like are they is that positive or like is there a positive aspect to people who are like if you think different enough from me I won't even talk to you? I think people are trying to set their own boundaries, right? Okay. And, you know, a lot of people, especially in the ex-Mormon world, will talk about, you know, it's okay to set boundaries with your family, your believing sure. family. And from a, from a practicing member's perspective, you know, here they are being encouraged to set up boundaries from them. And that would look like what you're talking about from our perspective, right? So someone setting up a boundary and saying, "Hey, you're, you're, you're," <laughs> and I don't think it's their presence, right? It's probably the way they act when they're there, right? Possibly, I, I'm, I, right? Like I don't, like I don't know if someone's willing to cut you off, and I, do they have? I have a hard time believing that happens with nothing, <laughs> like for no reason. <laughs> well, yeah, no. Totally fair enough. And I think that's what's um, the difficult part about this type of thinking is like, can I imagine a point where you should say to somebody like, I am cutting you off from my family? Yeah. Like I, I've talked to my fiance before, like if she murdered one of my sisters, that would be a pretty big blow to the relationship. <laughs> it would be, a, it would be hard for, for us to come back from that one. I might cut her off, you know, mm. but like, okay, are there things that, that you can say that would make me cut you off? And you know, what, what level does that look like? And I think that's what's for me really interesting because I like to believe that I'm a person that doesn't have a boundary when it comes to um, a, a personal feeling that I can have somebody like, for example, if I had one of the people who I, I knew many years ago when I used to go to church, reach out to me and say, hey, Jack, I heard that you had gone through some rough stuff and you weren't a Christian anymore. And I wanted to reach out and talk to you that even if I had, they had originally said mean things to me at the time or spoke bad about me behind my back or something, I would like to believe I'm a person who can say, oh, cool. Like, let's try again. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's nothing you can say, no matter how hard you hit me that I can't forgive you of later. Cause we're all people, we all make mistakes. We all do things that we later regret. That's just part of life. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, that all being said, then I think about family relationships and how hard that can be. And I do think that there is another level that comes to with family because there's ways that we perceive ourselves. We perceive our other family members. You know, what does a father mean to you in general versus your particular father mean to you? What are ideals you have? And all of that can get really wrapped up and become very psychological. And so I do understand either side saying, hey, you're dead to me. I don't want to talk to you ever again. But I just well, think I hope that anytime that happens, that that wall isn't permanent. 
you can get past that's it. What I, that's what I've been talking about with boundaries. Like, I think yeah. if you need to set a boundary, then you know you, right? Like, yeah. go ahead and set up the boundary. Just try to not think of it as permanent. I like that. Um, but it's, I would just say it's less than ideal. If you can get to a point where you don't have to set up a boundary, that would be better. And the best way mm-hmm. to get to that point is you got to change you. Because that's yeah. way easier to change than changing another person. Yeah. I also had this thought... <clears throat> And I've been thinking about this problem because I I think there's a lot of estranged relationships when someone leaves the church and their family's all still active. Um, And, and Bill real, he touched on it and he basically said, it's okay for you to talk about your callings and it's okay for you to talk about this and that, but it's not okay for me to talk about my beliefs. And I, I question that a little bit because I, I feel like, I want to know about my family's day-to-day life and the church is a huge part of their life. And generally on this side of it, we haven't replaced it with any like positive beliefs. And if we had, they would be happy to hear it too. Like, so if I had some church that I was going to and I was participating in some activity and I mentioned it, my, my family wouldn't be upset about that. Right. Right. What they're upset about is me attacking their current beliefs. Right. And so and, and maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe I'm being too nice. I don't know why I'm bothered. For me, it was really important for me to not lose any relationships yeah. over it. And so I made it a priority. And and I guess I just don't understand why other people aren't willing to try that endeavor from either side. And by the yeah. way, when I say only needs to come from one side, I believe it could also only come from the believing side too. Right. Right. Like, so it's not just no, I, the... I, I, I do agree with that. And I think the hardest part about that with the relationship thing though, is I think that when you're a Christian, what relationships are is different than when you're not a Christian. Right. If I'm a Christian, either I have a relationship that is a good friend of mine who I grow in faith with and who helps me with my faith with God. Or I have friends of mine who are not Christian, who when I'm friends with them, I'm also a witness. I'm an example to them of why they should want to be a Christian. And that categorization of people doesn't exist if you're an atheist. Like I, I don't look at my family members and think, oh, this is a, I could have a chance to convert them to atheism. Instead, yeah, your, your religion is like central to your whole life. Yeah. And therefore it was central to a lot of your relationships. Exactly. And so especially with the relationships I lost when I became an atheist, I didn't feel super motivated to reach out to them because I figured if I do, this this is a lot of road work because I just went from being a faith friend to being now a witness friend or, you know, like my categorization for their brain is I don't know where I am. I'm some, you know, limbo of uh, a thing that used to be a faith friend, but now isn't. So like if they view me as evil, I, it's not something that I didn't understand. It just, you know, hurt my feelings. <laughs> I well, empathize. <laughs> you said this is how you were framing relationships before. What you said it's different than now. How would you frame it now? Yeah. Like, so now relationships are, they're essentially a chance for me to get to know somebody else. So it's either, oh, I have a lot of history with this person and I have a chance to get to know new things about them, or I don't have any history with this person and there's a chance to get to know things about them. Hmm. Um, and I mean, it's something that my fiance often makes fun of me for because we'll go to the doctor's office. She has to go see her doctor 
and I'll sit in the waiting room and she comes out 30 minutes later and I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is my friend Chuck. I just met him. He's uh, 45 years old. He um, believes in um, astral projection and he also thinks he met Bigfoot one time. She's like, how do you know that? And I'm like, I just met this dude. <laughs> and I, that's what I want to know more about him. And that's, that's like, definitely a personality thing. No, it, it I, is. That's not easy for a lot of people. <laughs> but that's that's every relationship for me. That's what I want to do. I just want to learn more about you. And so if I'm in a relationship with somebody and I'm not learning more about them or that I feel that they want to block off parts of themselves for me or whatever, that's fine. You can have boundaries. Mm-hmm. But that's that's where my friendship level, like that's how who's a better friend and a worse friend is just who do I get to know more about? And if you feel like you don't want to share stuff with me, okay, you're just a little lower on the tier. Maybe yeah. I don't call you when I'm uh, I'm playing Uno and I need a, an extra person. There's another number I call before I call your number. <laughs> you know that, but that at the end of the day, companionship I think is just it's like a human need. We just mm-hmm. like to hang out with other people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's good to have relationships of people that can help that you trust, right? That can yeah. help help you see your blind spots and yeah and stuff too yeah disagreements are good being able to have conversations where you disagree with people are good and so when i hear bound boundaries that prevent that from happening i think oh i hope that you can get over that because it would be better if you could talk to the person that you disagree with but you know i also think even me saying that i can already hear a version of somebody saying the same thing i'm saying but not meaning it the same way so i just want to clarify like when you talk to someone you disagree with though you do want the person to feel like you respect them you're actually listening and and accurately representing what they're saying, mm-hmm. um, and w- when you and understanding them, right? Yes, that they feel that Understood. you understand them. Yep. Because even if you misunderstand them, but they feel like you're trying, you're good. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like you, time is long. Well, you can fix stuff later. But there's so many times I think people say similar rhetoric to what I'm saying, and what they mean is I'm going to go talk to somebody I disagree with and shame them and make them feel foolish. And look how look at they didn't want to talk to me. What's wrong with them? And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, no, you didn't talk to somebody. You attacked somebody and then called it talking to them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and all I, all I can say is like, whoever your conversation partner is, don't be surprised if they're setting up boundaries, if you are violating something that's important to them. Right. Right. Like we talk, I hear all the time. Oh, if you need to set up boundaries, if you need to set up boundaries, that's healthy and do that. And it's like, okay, that's true. Um, and hopefully you can become resilient to some point where you don't have to set those boundaries up. Right. right. But I also think that you have to respect that on the other side too. Yep. Like, I, um, anyways, I don't know. I know. I agree with that. That's the hardest thing for me. I get in trouble all the time. And I, and I as step far on as, toes and I go, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to yeah. hurt you. <laughs> well, and as far as relationships go, like it's a lot easier to blame somebody else than yourself, but if you're willing to take some responsibility for maybe an awry relationship, like then if it's a part of your fault, that's something you can work on. Yep. You can't ch- make somebody else change, but you can change in yourself. Right. Yep. But anyways, and, and not to say that things don't go south sometimes. Like I don't, I don't want to shame anybody that ends up like being estranged from their family or like ends up in a divorce. Like that happens. happens. And I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I'm not going to be judgmental of that. Like I might be in the same situation if I had the exact same, same right. circumstance, right? Like it's. And I, I think too, there's a whole aspect of it of effort as well. Like it's it, it, there's a 
a version of this that you can think about that it's like, yeah, you just put in the effort and you get the the reward. But there are other relationships that you put in 10 times the effort and you get 1% the reward. Hmm. And I do understand people who go, this isn't worth it for me. Right. But no, that's so true. Because it's like you, yeah. you want a friend that's going to help build you up. Like, yep. uh, <laughs> I'm a Jordan Peterson fan. And now we had the long conversation. And maybe I'm going to have another one with uh, somebody else that's going to correct me in my ways but good um but anyway he has like a thing that he repeats a lot and it he talks about um a good friend is someone that is happy when something good happens to you right. and it's sad when something sad happens to you they don't try to one-up you like well this happened to me right or when something good happens to you they don't try to like also one-up you like oh well this happened to me like they actually are happy for you and right. so and, th and then you need to be that friend for somebody else too right so Anyway, so, well, you brought up Jordan Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't bring him up, but I was watching that video he did uh, after he got kicked off Twitter mm -hmm. where he said, um, you know, that they asked him to delete the tweet and he would be reinstated and he said he'd rather die. Oh, yes. The the short one, right? Yeah. Where he, he kept de dead naming Elliot Page. Uh-huh. So would you, when you see that, would you say, oh, he's trying to be a friend or he's purposely not trying to be a friend? Yeah. To Elliot? To Elliot or or just any in a viewer who has a different opinion than him. Is he trying to be friends with people who have different opinions than him? Or is he trying to not be a friend to people who have different opinions than him? Well, I I don't I don't agree with how Jordan Peterson handled himself with those situations. Like I I'm pretty non-confrontational. And yeah. so I feel like it's better to talk to people. And like, for example, he, I think it's best to try to, when you're talking to someone you disagree with, to frame it in a way that they would accept. And I don't think they would accept people that are on the left side of politics wouldn't accept a lot of the ways that Jordan Peterson presents it. Is there, and, let me ask and you. I though, don't, and I don't know if he has, um, I don't know if he's just tired of doing that. I don't know if he's never tried to do that. I don't know why he doesn't do that. <laughs> yeah. It seems like it would be better. More beneficial for him. The well, it'd be more beneficial for everybody because let's just say that he's right about his ideas. There's a lot of people that are going to be turned off to listening to him because of the way that the way he handled those situations. <laughs> Uh, so. I would, and I would say too. This is what my fiance and I we were talking about it. That his statement, "I would rather die than delete a tweet," like that. That just seems so insane. Like so, I can't think of a single thing. You can't think of why what he the, means by that. I just think it, it's so uh, hyperbole. Like that. That what, this. What does is, he mean by that? Like if you had to. If you to summarize what you, he's you, saying, you've listened. You've listened to him enough, I think, yeah. right, to understand. If you were to try to understand where he was coming from, why why do you think he did that? Uh, I think that he he did that because he wanted to solidify a uh, viewpoint of him that is he's the little guy and he has an oppressor on top of him, but he's going to stand up for what he believes is right no matter what. And do you think he would accept what you just said? Um, I think no, but I don't think there's I don't think that there's any way I could frame something that he would accept. I think if I was in a conversation with Jordan Peterson that no matter what I said, I thought he said, 
he would say, well, it's a little bit deeper than that if we really think about it. Because what I said was, I'd rather die. Well, what does rather mean? And I don't think I would ever get to a point where I could be able to summarize what he was saying. <laughs> I think I could. Okay. I think he is saying he would rather die than live in a totalitarian state where you don't have freedom of speech. Well, right. But, you know, that's what he meant by when he said that. It seems so far to think that the deleting a tweet is equivalent to Nazi Germany or, you know, something that 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 death is on the table over. I think he truly believes that by not standing up for what you think and saying being able to say what you think, even if you don't say it nice. By not saying what you think, we will, our society will go that direction. Like, but I, th I think we just disagreed with that. We would say you, valuing relationships and being able to communicate with the other person is a really important factor. You, you want to be able to show the other person that you're a friend to them, that you, you, even if you disagree with their ideas, you don't hate them as a person. Mm -hmm. That you you want to have an open dialogue that both people can feel heard. So, for example, if I was talking to somebody and I said something and they said, well, what you said really offended me, then I would say, oh, my bad. Like, I, I'm not trying to hurt you. I was trying to express a viewpoint that's different than your viewpoint. I'm not it's not me versus you. It's my idea and your idea that we are comparing. Mm -hmm. I'm on your team. Mm -hmm. I'm you know, if you think different than me, let's see if we can change my mind. I'm open. And so if they said to me, hey, can you apologize for that? Do you think and that, I like, said I would rather die. <laughs> well, do you think that like having different types of personalities in a society is like, like. Beneficial. I, 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 don't, mean, expect, beneficial. I don't expect Jordan Peterson to have the same personality that I do. Agreed. And so just because he handled that situation, not the same way that I would. I'm not sure that I'm actually right about it. Like maybe him, maybe him kicking and screaming about this is gaining attention in a way that they go, maybe this is a big deal. I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's, it's hard for me because and this is a bias, but I, I have the opinion that like, you know, if, if I'm driving down the road and I see a group of people protesting, my first thought is never, I wonder what they're protesting. My first thought is always like, do you have to block traffic? <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like when I see Jordan Peterson kicking and screaming about something, I just think like, do you have to block traffic? Like now, does this have to be a news story? Why can't you just like respectfully, oh, I'll just delete that real quick. Hmm. You know, it, it's, it's hard for me because, and, and again, I think this is another aspect of it that is always frustrating with me in any political conversation. And I'm sorry that we've got to political. Con okay, I'm not sorry. <laughs> I appreciate you letting this happen. <laughs> you could have just ended it. <laughs> I don't want to go anymore. Um, but there, there's a rhetoric that I hear from the right that I agree with a ton, which is a, this idea of like, you know, just because you don't like something doesn't mean you should scream about it. You know, somebody disagreed with me. They're Hitler. I, they're, they're trying to kill me. Like what, you know, it's like a little, when I was a little kid and I, they would feed me broccoli and I'd say, what are you trying to do? Kill me? I'm not going to eat this. You know, it's there's a time where you have to say, wow, I really don't want to eat this, but I'm going to just eat it. And then if I have a reason not to eat it, I'll talk to you about it and try to reason with you like another person. But I'm not just going to cry about it. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there's a lot of times that I find people who have a, a politically right leaning view and I hear I don't want to eat that broccoli. And anytime I hear that, my then this is a personal bias. Anytime I hear that, I think, oh, that's sad. Mm -hmm. Just eat your broccoli and then talk about it.
Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That's my one of my that's my first rule of my twelve rules for life. Jack's twelve rules. Eat your broccoli. Eat your broccoli. Even and when don't, you don't want to. And don't cry about it. You can talk about it. But don't, you gotta eat the broccoli first. Don't cry about it. Yeah, don't cry about it. You know, <laughs> if it, if it's worth crying about, you gotta walk me through it. Because if I just hear the crying, I'm thinking you're crying over broccoli. You know, I don't, I don't immediately. You know, if your arm was broken, you got to tell me your arm was broken. Because I thought you were crying about the broccoli, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, was there anything else? Um. No, I feel good. <laughs> Okay. No, thank you. Thank you so much for letting me um, come on. I really appreciate this. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Jack, you did a yep. great job. Thank with you. Your uh, Joseph Smith as <laughs> Trump or Trump as Joseph Smith. Yeah. And, you know, jo Joseph Smith and Trump a little bit combined. That's what it was. Well, yes. And they're both from upstate New York. You know, that mm -hmm. is possibly how Joseph Smith sounded. So I really yep. appreciate you. digging. I up. could actually be the most historically accurate representation of joseph smith today right yeah like, it wasn't yes, i didn't do a trump's impression i did joseph smith just that's, accurately no one had right. heard it before that's right or maybe joseph smith or trump sounds like joseph smith we just yeah, now trump learned, is doing a joseph smith we just learned that like yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah it's like when uh, like hollywood producers make dinosaur sounds in a movie and it's <laughs> like well, you know we don't know what they sounded like that could be right <laughs> yeah that is what they sounded like that's exactly right. with me and joseph smith Right. Well, I appreciate you. You did a lot of work on that. Like, I was super impressed that you, you did, you did that well, like with very little help from me. So uh, thank you. Thanks for I all the time it. you spent on it. And um, hopefully everyone enjoys it. Okay. And thanks for telling us about your backstory. Hopefully I appreciate people that. Found can, it I have a, can I make a brief plug for myself? Yes, you can. I do also have a YouTube channel. Um, nothing humorous on it yet. I'm just doing uh, some music I've been working on um, because of my experiences with Christianity and playing music. I have some original stuff I've written and a lot of history with music that I've been wrestling with because so many of them have a Christian perspective. Hmm. And so I'm slowly, I've only posted one video so far, but my goals are to start putting out maybe once a month uh, a song from my past that I've worked through or a song even from now working through these kinds of religious uh viewpoints and just put them out there so if anyone wants to hear a song i guess i'll cool. send you a, a link and you can put it on the bottom of the video yep. or something like that. yeah so that would be awesome well tell it say it there's some people that listen to the audio only so yeah. if you want to what is the name of my channel i gotta actually yeah. look real quick i don't okay. yeah as you can see i'm not a good self-marketer I'll, I'll also put it in the show notes, but good, good, good. Um, yeah, my channel, my username is just called Jack two square one spelled out like Jack T O S Q U A R E O N E. Um, and the only video, there's only going to be one video on there. Uh, that's called Millstone, which is a song that I wrote. So if you look up Millstone, Jack Vaughn, it should pop up Vaughn okay. V A U G H N for the listeners. Should we put a little, um, a little advertisement in here seems like there's more of me than grain in the millstone okay there that was the ah that's really good <laughs> i made a little animation that i got to give a little credit to my sister she's the animator she um and of the family but she she taught me a lot of little techniques so that i can make a little view of myself smoking which is nice because then when you watch it you can go oh this guy's killing himself slowly so that's nice to know as well oh very good <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. All right. 
Well, thanks for coming on and hopefully I, I enjoyed it. So yeah. Who cares? yeah. Well, if, if you ever feel like you want to do it again, I'm, I'm available most weekends. So sweet. Well, have a nice night.